Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Over the past 18 months or so since the world changed, it's all I've been able to read or consume, just rom-coms, because I know there's going to be happy ending. And I consider Notting Hill to be the best of its genre. I have personally watched it many times and thoroughly enjoyed watching it again today. I have seen this more times than I can count. I would watch it now, back to back, and then when it, yeah, when it finishes, I'd press play again. <laughs> This, I think, for me, is is one of the worst rom coms. <gasps> no. <laughs> Which... Uh oh. Oh hell, and I liked you until now. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Arlie. Hello. Kate. Hello. Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Notting Hill. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Kate and Arlie. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are, please. Hello, everyone. I'm Arlie Adlington. I am a audio producer, so I make podcasts and radio programs for my job. And I've been working with Kate recently on a show that's coming out now, which maybe I'll let Kate say more about the show. She's probably, as the person in front of the mic, going to do a better job than me (laughs) at explaining it. But yeah, I I make podcasts and radio. I worked on a show called Vent Documentaries, which was something with Vice uh, and the London Borough of Culture, which was the podcast of the year at the British Podcast Awards this year. (laughs) Um, So I feel like uh, obliged to plug that, I guess, and be slightly braggy about it. Um, And uh, I had a documentary out on Radio 4 recently, also on the BBC called Kaleidoscope, which was all about trans kids and the way the media in the UK kind of talks about that topic. And so that's something I did recently that I was quite proud of. So, yeah. So you're working with substandard broadcasting houses. I mean, yeah, sure. yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I've been known each other for a few years now. Yeah, and you know, I love how I love seeing how people kind of start a podcast, which is just a small thing in your yeah. in your lounge making this podcast. And now, yeah, totally. 
Yeah, so the, yeah, the first show that I ever made was something just for fun that I did with my friend CJ. It was called The Boy Who Hasn't Lived. Um, and it was uh, about CJ reading the Harry Potter books for the first time after not being allowed to read them as a kid. And... Yeah, that was something that we just did for fun. And I met Kobe through just kind of the podcast community around that and then just got really into audio from there and gradually kind of turned it into my job. And yeah, and now I'm here. So it's really exciting. And Kate, who are you? My name's Kate Lever. I'm an Australian journalist who's been living in the UK for six years. Basically, I used to be a website and magazine journalist. And recently, I've made a really delightful pivot into dog journalism. Um, <laughs> so, so we've just brought, Ali and I have just brought out a podcast called Who's a Good Dog, which is with ACAST, but available on all podcast platforms. And uh, Kobe basically match made me and Ali as a, as a presenter producer duo because I was talking to to Kobe about wanting to get a producer on board this mad idea for a podcast, which is just, you know, a quite elaborate excuse for me to talk to interesting people about how much they love their dogs. And he Mm. said, I've got exactly the producer for you. Uh, Have a look at his Instagram. And I went to Ali's Instagram and it just has a series of dog pictures uh, with the caption dog of the day. And I was like, (laughs) yes, (laughs) this this is the right energy for a dog podcast. So I've had, you know, just the great pleasure of working on that with him for the first season. Uh, And that sort of came out of the fact that I wrote a whole book about dogs called Good Dog, which is out with HarperCollins um, in Australia, America, and the UK, and with someone else in Germany, a German word that I can't think of. Um, Gesundheit. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Who, who, have you got on your, who have you got on the podcast, Kate? As, ah, as, this, as we record this, the first episode's been out, but I think there's yes. quite a few exciting names in there. Um, so the very first episode is with actor Phoebe Tonkin who has played a vampire, a witch, and a mermaid in her career. And then the other guests after that include living legend, my personal favourite white male author, John Ronson, national treasure and documentarian Tony Robinson of Blackadder fame. Whose dog is called Holly Berry. Whose dog is called Holly Berry. And um, she shows... More more info about the dogs. Who are the dogs you've got coming (laughs) on? Very, very good, very good point holly berry is um a cover model of westies and besties magazine so is tony tony being the bestie holly being the westie she came from rspca they're both ambassadors pragya agawal who is a respected data and behavioral scientist told us about her rescue dog called taylor who once ate her mother-in-law's or a third of her mother-in-law's anniversary cake and uh, my favourite part about that is that they smoothed it over with icing and served it anyway to their guests. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Ronson has two dogs. Um, he has a very clear favourite and he did tell us a never-before-heard story of how one saved Ooh. the other's life just before Christmas one year. Uh, so- you, everyone who's listening should listen in for that when the John Ronson episode uh, lands. Tune in. So if you like podcasts and you like dogs... And Who's a Good Dog with Kate Lever tells you about dogs. But we're going to talk to you about films today. The film today is Notting Hill. Guys, who chose it and Me. why? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask, ask why you chose it and then get, I'll get the stopwatch out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wh- why I chose seconds. it? Yeah. Are you timing it from now? I'm going to time it from the synopsis. Oh, amazing. Okay. The synopsis is 
dashing but bumbling British travel bookstore owner spills orange juice on most famous woman in the world, they fall in love. It's set in Notting Hill, which is the name of the film. <laughs> and, and that's it, fair enough. Why did you, why did you choose True it? True speedy. Uh, I chose it because when I'm not talking about dogs for a living or working on a very dark podcast about men's violence in Australia, which is another project I have going at the moment, I am trying to write a rom-com. And so my head is very much in rom-com genre mode. And to be honest, over the past 18 months or so since the world changed, it's all I've been able to read or consume, just rom-coms, because mm. I know there's going to be happy ending. And I consider Notting Hill to be the best of its genre. Well, let's, I mean, this is the same one we're discussing it. Have you heard of a film, a documentary called Rom-Com Movie? No, but I'm going to get uh, on it. A former guest of ours, she directed it. And it talks about rom-coms from the early days through to, uh, I guess, modern times, which was like three or four years ago when she when she made it. So I mean, check it out. It's a good, it's a good kind of ride check through, it out. through the story, especially if you're writing one. Ali, when Claire declared Claire, Ali, when Kate declared. Do you know what's so weird? Everyone calls me Claire. If they forget my name, I always get Claire. <laughs> I must look like a Claire. It's a Kate Lever. It's a kind of combined. Apologise. When Claire <laughs> declared that she was going to uh, choose Notting Hill, you also like, I think your heart skipped a few beats as well. So this, this seems like it's close to your heart as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I also love rom-coms and I also, Notting Hill has, is up there with the best in my opinion. I, I actually... For me personally, the number one is when Harry met Sally. But mm. I, I mean, currently number one, I, on number, watcher, number one flicks watch a film as well. It holds that crown. Oh, amazing! So it's official. Yeah. official. It's official. Yeah, I, I I even made some notes when I was rewatching Notting Hill for this about the ways, the things that both the films do that I think are why they're both such good rom coms. So I definitely hold them in very high. You know, I think they're like two of the best. Well, maybe a, the best. It was a couple now. Well, I mean, where to begin? I think, <laughs> I feel like that those, both of those films do a really good job of like, in the same amount of time as any other rom-com, they somehow give you a kind of feeling of like depth of character and relationships between characters and kind of build the world in a really authentic feeling way so that it feels so much less like superficial than a lot of rom-coms um, which can be like silly and fun but they don't quite have as much heart and they don't feel as like I don't know they just don't quite hit hit you in the same way and I was thinking about how I think one of the things that both the films do that contributes to that is that they do a really good job of portraying the friendships that the main characters have around their romance so the, it's not just like oh someone has like a quirky best friend who's just there to like set up jokes or whatever they kind of depict really strong friendships mm. as well in Notting Hill particularly Hugh Grant's friendship group and then in when Harry met Sally you see like the best friends of both characters but you kind of get to know them almost as much as the characters who are the the romantic leads. And I, I just think that's one of the elements that both of those films have that make them have that extra layer of depth and they're just very funny and authentically written. Helen, where, where do you sit on, on Notting Hill? Um, 
so I've definitely seen it before, but this this has been a long, long time ago. Um, I mean, I'd probably say that rom coms are in my top genres, and I I, I love when Harry met Sally, but. Th- this, I think, for me, is is one of the worst rom coms. <gasps> no. <laughs> Which... <Uh-oh. laughs> oh, Helen, and... I liked you until now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of going to gloss over the ethnic cleansing of Notting Hill as a oh, point. Yeah. But... Oh yeah, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to gloss over it. Can... Well, that's definitely. I mean, uh, it's well, funniest, yeah. the funniest thing for me is, um, as a fan of the Y guys, there's also a podcast called The Y Strips by someone you may know um, but the funniest thing for me is that the only black person that spoke in the film was Lester Freeman in, in The Wire oh yeah um, yeah and that's a tip, that's, I mean that's a, that's a Richard Curtis kind of trait isn't it generally for an area famous for its carnival there are no well, they're, black people they're, in they're, have you heard the story about that the, the background to that which is like it's even more controversial than just okay what's the story yeah so, like, I don't remember where I heard this, but what I heard about what happened with that is that Richard Curtis did a bunch of, like, consulting with local people in the community in Notting Hill and had all these conversations about how he really wanted to, like, portray Notting Hill, actually how it is, and actually cast loads of background actors who were people of colour. And everyone in the community and stuff was under the impression that he was going to represent Notting Hill, like visually how it actually is. And then the film came out and he'd (gasps) cut all of that out. So it's not even that he was just like in an ignorant way, (laughs) not casting any people of colour. He actually did all the stuff to try and put it in place and then just decided to not include it. So it's it's like so much worse than it even looks just watching the film. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, wow. And yeah. yet he was able to include both Beavis and Butthead in some way. So... More than once. <laughs> Two references to Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so so yeah. wow. there's, there's that. But I yeah. think the main problem for me is Anna Scott is a terrible person. And <laughs> their relationship, there's, I don't think they have particularly great chemistry. And I think this, for me, kind of, is part of the the 90s rom-coms where dysfunctional slightly toxic relationships or relationships full of like drama where something happens and someone's begged to become back and there's an apology and someone's made to feel really awful in public there's kind of packages being romantic and i think that that just didn't really sit with me and that Hugh Grant's character he's kind of like a nice guy and she's a bit of a bitch and it's like well <laughs> <laughs> You're better than her. Like you deserve better than this kind well, her of. Last film made fifteen million. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter. She she lied to him, and she's really cold, and she's not very friendly. And like you know, he could have had Emily Mortimer. She was one of the. Oh, the she dates was perfection. Absolute perfection. Why? Um, yeah, because he said she's perfect, but then. then he was still happened. in love with Jules or Anna. He was like, love's not rational. She's perfect. Perfection doesn't matter. Or, you know, like love, you know, perfect, good on paper, sort of if you want a love island phrase, Uh, but you probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for me, I mean, love rom coms to me are never high in the agenda. But we've had, I mean, when I met Sally, I'm not surprised it's number one because it is an absolute stone cold classic. And that is hilarious in many different ways. And I love the way it goes through the decades. 
and when they do get together with end, you feel that that's been earned. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the lot of things for me for rom-coms and, uh, you know, even things like Snow White, like the story Snow White goes over two days and she she falls in love with the true love. Obviously, Nossie Hill goes over a longer period of time, but I still kind of feel like, really? <laughs> but for both of them, like, really? I can get the infatuation um, and, and things like that, but the, the kind of... Their relationship doesn't have enough at the beginning for yeah. it to warrant to be that stretched out i don't yeah i don't buy the 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 meet you i don't buy the 16 <laughs> minutes and seven seconds in she kisses him i'm like what? like what what that was a slightly mad moment uh, do you know what yeah. though here's my my counter argument to all of that and that is that i think do you know what i spent a lot of my life my work life my private life inside of my head thinking about gender dynamics and um but you know power in a relationship and all sorts of things like toxic masculinity and all of that but i believe that for the most part you have to set all of that aside for the consumption of a rom-com um, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. i also don't think that notting hill is a particularly i mean is a particularly bad offender in terms of a toxic relationship. And I think they also, and to be honest, I think they make up for the chemistry, like potentially lukewarm chemistry between the two main actors, um, which I wasn't going to acknowledge until you brought it up, (laughs) with the ensemble cast. And that's what I love and what Ali alluded to earlier is that to me, yes, a rom-com is about romantic love, but I think there's also this very dangerous idea, which, yes, is partly because of all the rom-coms from the 90s, uh, that romantic love is is the optimal version of love and somehow in a hierarchy of affection comes out on top all the time. I think this film kind of goes against that because, you know, the main characters don't get everything from each other. Certainly Hugh Grant's character has a lovely smorgasbord of relationships and different types of love to choose from. He has his delightful set of best friends, his absolutely insane Welsh roommate called Spike. Um, Even, it's just sort of, even Notting Hill, if we're going to include that as a character, even if it's been, you know, culturally misrepresented. um, I think it's kind of deeper than just an empty-ish love story and to be honest like the love story is secondary to me because I very much don't think real healthy relationships happen between a very 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 famous person and a quote-unquote normal person (laughs) I don't think (laughs) I and I wouldn't wish fame on anyone Um, and that's one of the topics that I think this film deals really well with because my my counter argument to the sort of Anna Scott is a stone cold cold bitch is one she's also a stone cold babe which I really like um, (laughs) from the Julia Roberts performance but two I think we actually get a glimpse for the first time or perhaps for the most meaningful time in this genre of film into what fame can do to a person and I think that scene where they are competing to win the brownie by putting forth the most convincing story of sadness where Anna Scott talks about how she's been hungry since she was 19 she's Mm -hmm. been on a diet for a decade and she's had all these painful surgeries and all of her the loves of her life have been splashed across the pages of tabloid magazines I don't think we touch on that very often and I know it's not a huge important social issue issue or a big sub story that we should care about forever but in a fame obsessed society I really appreciated the little glimpse we got into how that what that might do to a person 
think it was one of the first, maybe the only film I can think of that talks about revenge porn, like the Kim Kardashian kind of thing. I'm seeing it from the other side of the person. And Billy Pipe had a good, I can't remember what her TV show was called. But that, yeah. that kind of revolved around that same that same premise where she, I Hate Susie, yeah, which I thought was really good. Um, and I love that kind of premise. But I think it's, it's still in the current love I Hate Susie. Well, they weren't their thing. Yeah. And that's why I kind of don't care. I like the I like the setup that goes into where Hugh Grant go, he's a horse and hound journalist, improbably, and that. But I think the I think what what Richard Curtis has almost done is worked back from the I'm just a girl standing for the guy. That's a great I love scene. It. Oh my I think God. he's kind of got that line. Which still, well, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh. But in, you know, in retrospect, twenty years later, I was like, really? Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still like it. I was going to say I have like maybe an even more controversial <laughs> gap, Please. or like a more just basic. I don't know. Anyway, my take on because I I totally agree <laughs> with you, Kate. Like when I watch rom coms, I'm just like I kind of put aside my like feminist engagement with the world. I'm just <laughs> like now I'm having fun and watching trash. But um, I I actually like don't agree with that Anna Scott is is like a bitch. I actually and I watched the film just like today to rewatch it ready for this. And I really watched it with my eye on because I'd seen some people talking on Twitter about this kind of idea like that. She is basically just like a dick to Hugh Grant. <laughs> so I really watched it with that in mind. And I really strongly felt that she is actually really funny and that all those moments that you could interpret as her being really rude and like incredibly short with him like that whole scene where he's like offering her tea and she's just like no no <laughs> yeah. no i was just like i actually think that she's hilarious and she's very self protective her character is like i have to be really protective of myself cuz of the kind of all the fame stuff that they kind of go into and and also I was like she's also like a straight woman having to try to date straight men, which is like the worst possible like place you can find yourself in the world of dating. <laughs> and so, so it's true. natural and correct, I would say, to go into any such interaction with uh, a, a bit of cynicism and a bit of like you're gonna have to earn this. Like if you want to like get somewhere with me, you're gonna have to work kind of hard for it. And I think she's giving him a really hard time, but I I think she's really funny and she's actually like just kind of giving him a hard time, entertaining herself a little bit in the process. And that's kind of how I read that. But I mean, that's just how I read it. Definitely. <laughs> I think there's a lot of forgiveness in that line about the apricots and honey and the pronunciation mm. of the word apricot aside. I think you're right. I think it's a good bit from her. <laughs> yeah. The main, the main bit of it was that she had a boyfriend whilst this relationship that's was true. going on. And yeah. that's, that's but the- I also think, I mean, not to just come to Anna Scott's defence in every... I'm right behind but you. I, I think it's like, yeah, I think... She's hiding like, Alec Baldwin somewhere. She is. But I also think, I mean, basically, I totally agree. I'm not at all saying her character does everything right. I think she, like, does things wrong. And she does a lot. Hugh Grant doesn't really wrong her at any point in the movie, whereas she does wrong him multiple times. Mm. But um, I do think the boyfriend was meant to be like, I'm not saying it was right. Like she definitely shouldn't have been like going on dates with Hugh Grant while she had a Alec Baldwin as her boyfriend. But I feel like it wasn't meant to be like, I think she was meant to be like really unhappy in the relationship mm. and kind of, she was bit, she was being naughty, but it, in a way that I were in the scheme of someone's whole life, I think could be forgiven if they can definitely. come back 
come back from it with the right kind of apology. And, you know, she brings the right apology in the form of the original the original violin playing goat painting (laughs) (laughs) delivered at the end of the film. (laughs) But I do love the film and so... I am obviously incredibly biased to want to defend Anna Scott. I think when you, when you <laughs> talk about her being funny, there's, there are pits where, like the Horse and Hound bit, for example, the, uh, the setup to the press junket, she knew that he was going to come in and be there. And, <laughs> and that whole setup, she, you could see that she had yeah. like a, oh, really? Okay, so what bits in the film did you like? And obviously, that's when Lester Freeman, yeah. Clark Peters. Um, She's taken the piss yeah. so much with him. I think she finds it really funny that he's incredibly awkward mm. and she just likes seeing how far he'll go with his awkwardness. And I think that those are the moments where she's meant to be falling in love with him, even though she's kind of like giving him a really hard time. Also, don't forget, she's American. And I don't usually <laughs> defend Americans, but I do think there might be like a slightly, a slight sort of humour lost in translation between them in a way that I think Richard Curtis might be trying to maybe satirise the different kind of approach to things. Because, I mean, as an Australian, not like an American, but a non-British person... <laughs> Making bumbly Englishmen more bumbly is a very good pastime and very funny, and I love her for it. So I'll, I'll defend her on that count too. <laughs> um, before we head to the scores, guys, we talk about bumbly Englishmen. I mean, Hugh Grant at that period was the super bumbly. So it's the point for me where I found it a bit off-putting. When it was a Hugh Grant film, I was like, oh, really? But now I think like Paddington 2, for example, mm. Hugh Grant is, in, is absolute element. Um, where do you yes. sit on Hugh Grant and his, and his career, guys? Well, I agree with Hugh Grant himself, who said that Paddington 2 is the greatest thing he's ever done in his career. <laughs> <laughs> I just admire him the way that he kind of came back from the incident and yeah. he basically kind of fell out of favour and not many people come back from that. And he, he mm. came back from that. And I Do you think he would have come back from it if it had been the now times when he would have been cancelled straight away or something would I don't know. It's I've no idea. I don't know whether the overwhelming kind of British love for him would be so strong that they would have stood by him. But um, yeah, I find him more most interesting when he's he's doing something a little bit different. Um, like playing a villain is always a nice thing to kind of see from, and you can kind of see that he enjoys that rather than just playing the the one English type, which he did end up playing for quite a lot of his career. I listened to um, his interview. I, I don't hardly ever listen to Mark Maron's podcast, but I occasionally dip in and I listen to the Hugh Grant episode. And um, he was so, so funny on that. And it really made me like him. He was really funny and charming and just really, really came across like he does not take himself seriously mm. at all. And like, I think he knows that he was always being cast as that bumbly Englishman. And I think he was basically just like, love to have a job. Okay. <laughs> um, but like, doesn't take it seriously. He he was really funny. And like, he's obviously done loads of also quite amazing work around sort of like the British tabloids and like the mm. phone hacking. Well, and I'm, well, I'm kind of a big fan. Yeah, mm. Like, I think like, um, if I'm going to like stand for any posh white Englishman, it might be Hugh Grant. <laughs> No, I, I, completely. I, I watched a documentary about the um, the Murdochs where Hugh Grant was like front and centre in terms of, no, this is absolute bullshit and got got his guys together, got his team together to counter it. So I, I think he's an absolute legend. I think the divine thing was, was unfortunate and 
unforgivable. It's interesting seeing how that kind of would have played in, a, in, a, in more, you know, post naughty's time, post social media time. Because at the time it was a bit of a joke, but I think that's that's really hard. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people do it. I can get away with it in, in all walks of life, but I think it's, um, for me, that was a bit of a downer, but it's good to see him come back. When did that happen? What? In the 80s? No, it was like no, 90s. It was 90s. Not long after... Can you guys tell me like what happened? Because I feel like I'm not sure I actually know like what this story is. It was to paraphrase because I don't know the super details, but he hired a prostitute um, and got caught in. I'm not sure what point in the act he got caught in in the car. I think it was in LA. Is that the whole story? Yeah, just that. Oh, that doesn't seem like I thought that was the story. That <laughs> Me he, too. Man. He had he like uh, uh, like hired a sex worker, but like it was a part well, of a, it... a sting. Apparently, I was just reading it now. So it was in 1995. So this Notting Hill was kind of like a big big comeback for him because he'd kind of been in in the doghouse um, for a while. Um, so he was caught mm. in a sting, and yeah, that is illegal in America. So wasn't it part of the? It was. It wasn't he going out with Liz Hurley at the time. That was part of the outrage. I guess it's maybe bad if he had a partner. But I do think that just, in general, just the fact that he was, like, with a sex worker is, like, literally not... I don't even think... I don't think that's controversial. <laughs> it's just, like, that's... Like, lots of people do that. No. I don't know. No, I, think I, it was, think... I think it was more that Liz Hurley was, like, a, was a British darling at the time and they've never seen him yeah. like oh, a... okay. A, okay. A, yeah, because infidelity I'm not on board with, but in terms of... What are you uh, doing in your own private life? Oh, yeah, like, yeah but I also think, like, if that happened today, I don't think people would have a problem at all. I mean, it's certain Piers Morgan probably would, but he has a problem with everything. <laughs> but I, I think rather, more than, like, survive it, I think people would probably add it to a list of attributes they like about him being, you know, a happy Edgy. British chap. Okay. Cheeky, Living cheeky. Best life. <laughs> cheeky, cheeky. That is you grant some. <laughs> well, let's head to the scores, guys. Hello, I'm Kate Lever, host of Who's a Good Dog, the podcast for anyone who's ever loved a dog. We're one of the other podcasts in the Stripped Media family. Each episode, I ask a brilliant person to introduce me to their dog and tell me how having a dog has changed their life. Listen to Who's a Good Dog wherever you get your podcasts. So welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Kate, with your recommendability. Recommendability, five out of five. I recommend this to everyone I ever talk to if the opportunity comes up. Is it like, uh, where's the toilet? By the way, have you seen that again? Um. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Netflix comes up, if love comes up, if England comes up, if fruitarians come up, if hotels come up, if press conferences come up, I'm I'm recommending it. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's another thing, wasn't it? Because they were they were kind of shaming people with non people didn't even meet with different writers, weren't they? In, in the film, as well. oh yeah, it was very like pre-vegetarianism being normal. Yeah. That is clear from the film. <laughs> I just that fruitarian with her little plats and how sad she was about the carrot. I, th- quite, I think about her quite often. <laughs> I do too, actually. I won't lie. Through my life, I've thought about her a lot mm. when I eat carrots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just she deserved her own film. <laughs> she did. She's a spin-off. Justice for Carrot Lady. Uh, Ollie, recommendability. 
Uh, I would say if speaking to a person who likes rom-coms, five out of five, absolutely. I guess I'd pick my audience for who I recommended it to, but yeah. Five out of five. I'm going five. Correct. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, sorry, guys. This not not a fan. Um, also not a fan that it's like, it's quite long. It's over two hours, could be a lot shorter. And just while we're on the subject of non-famous people dating famous pe- people, not a film, but um, the... TV comedy Starstruck, uh, <gasps> oh, Rose Matafeo's I love it. Um, comedy. That is great. I love that. And I thought that was really kind of fun. If the kind of fun that had been in that had been in Notting Hill, then I would have, you know, had a bit more love for it. So um, I'm going to give it a two. Sorry. <gasps> um, I'm going to bring it to 3.9. I think oh. it's, you should definitely watch it if you've not seen it. I think there's... There's other rom-coms I would rate higher. Even some of the more recent ones that always be my maybe, for example, a few of the Netflix ones, which are really, yeah. which yes. really good fun to, to watch. And those kind of things have actually steered me more to say, yeah, rom-coms are decent. But, you know, and Harry Natale still, for me, is like the pinnacle of not just rom-coms, it's like comedy, just film in general, New York films. You know, it's, it's just like stone cold, absolute classic. And it's top there with um, Fugitive on our list of films on Fitz Watcher. Repeating score of Kate and Harley, I think I, I think it's going to be quite happy both of you. But let's, <laughs> let's go with Kate. First. Definite five. I have seen this more times than I can count. I would watch it now, back to back, and then when it, yeah, when it finishes, I'd press play again. Harley, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it is a five for me as well. I know we're all we're landing in different places, but I have personally watched it many times and thoroughly enjoyed watching it again today. Helen. Yeah, it's good that you kind of given it the fives. To, um, it, it's good to get the points. <laughs> you can average us out. <laughs> yeah, two, it's over two hours, and I think it really does. It could be a lot shorter and a bit punchier with like some nice snappy editing. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to watch it again. One, sorry. Oh, oh, I'll watch it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't sorry. worry. It's getting enough views on Netflix between me and Kate. So. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for a 2.5. This is literally the second time I've seen it. And that last time I saw it was in like 98. So what's that? Oh, wow. A long time ago. Um, and when this came up, I was like, yeah, I'm not seeing it for a while. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I don't think I want it. I think the length, the length of this is you don't need it for the film. And there were some really cool bits, but I think I could wait another few years before I watch it again. So I, know I will watch it again. Uh, so 2.5, small screen score. Oh, I watch this on any size screen. Uh, <laughs> I don't. There are no big car chases, no big epic war scenes. Nothing I think that needs to be uh, in a cinema. I'd watch this on any size. So I, I don't know, five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, I can't think of a reason that this wouldn't be totally fine on a small screen and for that reason i have no choice but to give it five (laughs) out of five (laughs) i'm sorry if we're doing this wrong (laughs) i'm giving it five (laughs) this is absolutely perfect uh helen yeah there's no cinematic need for this um so yeah i think romantic comedies are ones you know i've never i think if you have a choice to see like a big sci-fi blockbuster on the big screen or a romantic comedy, you're a bit like, it's all right. I'll catch the comedy when it comes on to, you know, 
Netflix. Mm. So um, uh, yeah, a five for small screen. I love that you get you managed to give the film five for something, but still find a way to make it be insulting to the film. <laughs> it's really it's excellent. Uh, yeah, I really love it too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it a five. Yeah, yeah that's it's true. That's that's it. You know, some 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 really good films have lost out on small screen score because we want to see them in the cinema. Mm. Uh, that said, my most vivid cinema memory ever is of an entire Sydney cinema losing their minds with laughter when Spike eats the mayonnaise thinking it's yoghurt. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It just was a real hit with whatever audience I was in that day. <laughs> <laughs> Some audiences just don't. That wasn't one of the funniest bits, was it? I enjoyed uh, it. I'm going for five. And I, there's one There's one shot which I thought was really cool, all done in cameras, when... Hugh Grant's walking along the street in Notting Hill and it starts from one season and blends mm-hmm. into the other seasons. And at the end, at the start, there's a, there's a lady with a baby and at the end, the baby's been born. And I know sunshine when she's gone. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, that's that song. <laughs> I just thought that was really cool. So I don't remember happening. I don't remember. I just thought that was a really simple, effective way. And I mm. don't know if that's been borrowed from anywhere or it's been used since, but I was like, yes, I like that. Um, so yeah, fine anyway. So engagement score. This is how happily I would walk away from it. Yes, how right. happily you okay. walk away from well, how much you are playing on your phone whilst This is an interesting. You've got me here because I actually will give it less than five, um, but only because, like, I could so press. Much. I've seen it so much, and I know I'll see it again. That I could pick it up at any spot in the movie and be happy to watch the remainder of it. Uh, you know, if I still watched live television and it was on, I would watch it from any point. So, <laughs> and I would happily get on with my life and do another activity and come back another time. So maybe like a 2.8. Ollie. When I watched it today, I actually did not pick up my phone at all and play with it. But I, I think I, at the same time, that maybe that was just where I was at today. I, I don't think I can give it like a five <laughs> because... I do think there are probably films in the world that are more gripping uh, than Notting Hill. I'm going to give it, based on my intuitive feeling, but also taking into account the reality of how I watched it today, four. Some good internal maths going on there. It was beautiful. I mean, blink and you'll miss it. Uh, Misha Barton is a very yes. young tiny, Muslim tiny first... Michelle early one of kind of early early ones and not her 22nd uh, <laughs> as she claimed in the film. oh is that oh i thought I was, I was wondering if she must be famous by now i think she's a real housewife of america now isn't she one on one of those franchises oh didn't know that oh don't quote me i might have made that up or had a dream about it but i think it might be true <laughs> <laughs> kind of wild dreams um and yeah so two and a half down the middle this is a weird one i think you need to be bit more up for it to be in this film but at the same time it's one of those films you should be able to just leave it on in the background a bit but at the same time you can't really so that means for me I think you need a slightly higher engagement score and maybe that's because I've only seen it twice uh, so I'm going to go for 3.6 um, and that gives us an overall score of 3.89375 just under 4 uh, Helen Helen's quite good down a bit I didn't think that yeah. through with my engagement score. No, well, let's, let's just have a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay, uh, Kate and Ali, thank you so much for joining us talking about Notting Hill. Can you let everyone know who's listening, 
uh, where we can find you online and say you know, thank you very much and goodbye to the listeners. Yes, thank, thank you so much for having us. It was very fun. And um, <laughs> I am on Twitter at Arlie Adlington and my website is arlie.me, arlie.me. If anyone is looking for an audio producer, come and find me there. Amazing. And um, I've been Kate Lever. I'll still be Kate Lever after we end this recording. <laughs> you might change your name to Claire. Uh, that's true. That's true. It's always an option. <laughs> Just for simplicity. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and recently, embarrassingly, TikTok uh, on at Kate I Lever. And I can promise a lot of dog content. Are you a millennial, Kate? Yeah, I'm old in TikTok years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an elder. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.